Okay, so we're live. We are, again. We are. <laughs> People will be bored of us today. Maybe. <laughs> or maybe not. I hope they're not. I mean, I think the feedback, the feedback has been uh, extremely positive, really, to be fair. Um, oh, Melissa is here. She's uh, she's here. Hey, lovely. Hey. Hi. How are you? Good. I'm liking your new perspective on your kitchen there. Yeah. Is it okay? The background? Are we live or? It's We're live. Live. We are live. You're live. <laughs> oh, good. You know, you never know when you fly. You know, when you fly right in and you're in, and then you're like, "Oh, I'm in." <laughs> I'm in. Well, we're waiting. We're waiting for Donna. I'm hoping she's going to arrive any minute with some luck. Yeah, let me ping her on um, on. Uh, I will ping her on uh, Facebook. Super. If super. I can't find her phone number. We can't use Twitter anyway, so, but, you know, we can't talk about that. <laughs> I've tried. I'm waiting for Melissa's you to got big, that out. All your people. Big problems with Twitter. I've been, I've been trying to help her with Twitter. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Twitter. I believe you. That's, that's Ahmed. Oh, uh, okay. The pup. But I'm not, I'm not allowed to talk about the puppet. No, we can't talk about that. I don't know what that is. But anyway, so we are we are here to talk about imposter syndrome, right? Yes, we are. And um, basically, Donna Donna will be here fairly soon. I just want to welcome everyone to International Imposter Syndrome Awareness Day to the expert panel and Q and A. Uh, and you know, this syndrome here is is apparently experienced by up to seventy percent of business leaders. So I'm actually I'm delighted Not even to just business leaders like seventy percent of people. Yeah, people. It's massive. It's crazy, people. right? Everybody. You don't even have it's to be crazy. a business leader. You could be a student and still be there. It's crazy. So, yeah, I mean, literally, the basically the, the that's why we launched this this imposter syndrome awareness day international imposter syndrome awareness day because this this problem is uh, is really rife and you know this spectrum the the confidence spectrum that kim and i have been sort of talking about is is just massive right and um you know for for people who don't who don't actually know who we are um well i'm i'm nat schooler and i'm a podcast host and um I'm also a trusted advisor, and uh, yeah, I've got I've got your bio here, Melissa. So uh, Melissa Sassy is chief penguin entrepreneur and student experience at IBM, and she's also a founder of um, a nonprofit called Mentor Nations. But you That's do loads right. of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Kim Kim Adele Platts is an experienced board leader, and. C-suite executive coach with over a decade in the boardroom, championing human spirit. And Kim's the reason why I'm kind of uh, talking about imposter syndrome. Ah, and Donna's here. Excellent. That's fantastic. So and Donna. We are live, Donna, by the way. Hmm? We're live. We are, we are live. live. And oh, yeah, cool. Donna, I interviewed <laughs> on a podcast. Uh, let me see about probably about 18 months ago, maybe two years ago. And She's leading the development advocacy at Microsoft, where she's been for 15 years, uh, doing all sorts of fantastic things uh, within Microsoft. But she's also a published author. Uh, her book, one of her books, should I say, is actually called The Imposter Syndrome Banishing Spell. So that's that's fantastic. And she's also a fashion designer as well. So, oh, yeah, yeah I'm, nice I'm here. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm really privileged. You guys have kind of taken the time out of your days to uh, to join us. Really, it's uh, it's fantastic. I'm excited so that I got the memo for me to wear my red earrings that match Kim and also match the banner. <laughs> that is cool. I don't know if you'll that, but I, I'm just feeling like part of the gang here. <laughs> nice. What can nice I say? <laughs> this is crazy, right? <laughs> It's the brightest show ever, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, literally, I've you know, I've got a few questions for uh, for everyone, and I thought I'd kind of start off 
I thought I'd start off with Donna um, and really I'm going to ask the questions, you know, one question and then we'll, we'll just move around, uh, move around the panel really. So sure. I wanted to know uh, what triggers feelings of imposter syndrome and uh, in you actually, uh, Donna, and could you share some of the worst or one of the worst moments that you've experienced it, please? Sure. So for, according to my just experience of dealing with this, imposter syndrome kicks in when I'm doing a thing I haven't done before, surrounded by people who have done it before. Um, it's I, Both of those things need to be true. So for example, when I was um, learning about Power Platform, which is my product here at Microsoft, it's a low-code development platform. Now, I am not a low-code person. I am a high-code person. So moving into this world, I had to learn a whole new language. Um, I couldn't use all the words I've known for the last 20 years, like compilers and emulators and Visual Studio and code. Um, no one knew what I was talking about. They were like, what? We're app builders. I'm like, what is an app builder? Um, we, you know, do configurations. We use FX. We use, I'm like, what? Y'all are, y'all are wild. What are you talking about? So I felt like a complete imposter. And this is an example of, it's not a matter of you're more advanced in life or less advanced in life. It's just different, just completely different. So suddenly my audience was people in HR, finance, legal operations, physical security, bricklayers. That's who I was talking to. I used to talk to software engineers. So the fact that everyone else around me knew this language and knew what they were talking about, and they'd been in this space for about not that long, like two or three years, and I was day zero into the space and suddenly public eye being like, hey, this is your space now. I'm like, what is happening? Um, so that to me is the trigger. So that was about two years ago. And it took me about six months to stop feeling like an imposter. But that is a different story. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. So uh, looks like Melissa's sort of half frozen. So <laughs> probably probably best if we if we go to Kim. Well, Melissa, she maybe she's meditating or something like that. Mm. I'm sure she'll she'll recover eventually. Yeah. So what about you, Kim? What's your worst moment? And uh, you know when when um, what triggers imposter syndrome for you? So so. Unfortunately, mine triggers more often. So it's not even if I'm doing something I've never done before. Sometimes I can do just doing things I've done all the time. Um, and I spent um, probably 10, 10, 11 years in um, in the boards of the FTSE 250, convinced someone was going to turn around and go, oh, my goodness, we put a hairdresser on the board, get her off. And nobody ever said it, but that was my massive imposter, that people would realise I'm a hairdresser and I didn't have the qualifications. I didn't have the right to be there. Um, and that used to really cause me massive, massive challenges on how do you actually front up to that? And you'd have this little voice in your head telling you that you really shouldn't be there while you were desperately trying to make sure it didn't come out of your mouth. Um, because obviously you were still trying to be the consummate professional <laughs> that looked like you were doing um, doing your job. And now I've been very fortunate. I've spent the last four and a half years really studying it. And it doesn't mean to say I don't get triggered anymore, but I spot when I'm being triggered and therefore I can do something about it, which which helps because you can kind of get yourself out of that. It can feel debilitating, can't it, Donna, at the moment where you're just going, just don't say anything stupid. <laughs> don't let yourself down. I'm just I'm just amazed by that, by all this colour in the background. <laughs> It's incredible. The yellow and the blue that you're wearing is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Because you've only re recently just launched this fashion line, right? Like in the past couple of years since I've known you, you've, you, you've just launched this, right? Yeah, Amazing. a year and a half ago. And talk Amazing. about because I've never launched a fashion line or a business. I know nothing about finance. These are not my areas of expertise. I'm a software engineer. But to Kim's point, um, I think that's really interesting how you still have it after you, you're so successful, you're on boards of how many companies, you've done this many times and you're convinced they're gonna look at your history and say, lady, you're a hairdresser, what are you doing here? Yeah, I know it makes, it makes no sense. And it's funny when you were talking to, when you, know, when you talk to people about it and they're like, mm -hmm. at what point are you going to get past it? And actually for me, my biggest trigger was my little girl. Um, and I 
I wouldn't, I had an illness and I wasn't certain I was going to survive it. And I went to write the letter to my little girl that, you know, would share all the love and advice and tips in case I didn't make it through. And I didn't know how to write that letter. So I remember creeping into a bedroom um, to just get a bit of a look, you know, <laughs> see if that might inspire me. And there she was fast asleep. And in that moment, it hit me that the voice that we talk to ourselves becomes the voice we teach our children to talk to themselves. And it broke my heart because I've been really, really evil to myself over the years. And I vowed in that moment, if I survived, I would go and find out why I was so evil to myself. And I would learn a new language. I would learn to be able to treat myself with more respect. Um, And kind of that's been my four and a half year mission. She's four and a half now, bless her heart. Um, is to make sure that I don't become that legacy in her head. And because of that, you have to push yourself forward and you have to put yourself out there and and share your vulnerability and, and go and do the things that go, you know, who says that actually I have any right to do this? But who says I don't? Um, and actually, can we just change that dialogue? I, I think is, I guess, my driver. Fantastic. Well, look, since Melissa isn't back yet, she's got an internet problem. Mm-hmm. I thought I'll, I'll just jump straight into the, the kind of next question that I've got. So what impact does your experience of imposter syndrome have on your on you and your performance at work and other areas of your life, Donna? Um, so previously, it used to impact things a lot because I would tap out of experiences. Um, like, for example, I was once asked to speak at um, kind of a gathering of universities. Uh, there were people, young people from all kinds of universities getting together, and they'd asked a bunch of tech speakers like uh, to come and share their best wisdom for college-age people, things people in college should be doing to prep for a job, for a job market. Now, I actually do know this topic, but I looked at the lineup, and I got terrified because they're all VPs of things, right? It was like the CTO of Dell, the VP of something important at Cosmopolitan. Um, and I'm looking at these titles and my title says software engineer. And I am freaking out like, okay, you email the wrong person, right? That's what happens to me. I'm like, did you email the right person? Um, so I write them back like, hey, not, I think you got the wrong Donna Sarkar. Um, but I am not a VP of something. I'm a software engineer here at Microsoft. I've been software engineer for like five years, not that long. Um, so do you want me to find you a VP of something? And they said, no, we actually want someone who's closer to the students in experience. We don't want someone who's so far removed. And all these VPs signed up, but we didn't know how to tell them no. Um, but we, uh, we, we actually want someone the students can resonate with. So it's not all like, you know, 55 years ago when I went to you know, school, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm thinking, are you just saying that to be nice to me? and you need a speaker. So for me, it's always, I bet you couldn't find anyone else, right? That's like the thought in my head. I'm, I bet you couldn't find anybody else. And then I just had to find evidence, right? It's like, okay, Donna, you've told yourself this story that they can't find anybody else from Microsoft to speak at this thing. What is your evidence? I'm like, well, they asked me. Okay, they're like, all right, cool. That's one thing. Um, uh, okay, I can't think of any other evidence. Then I have to find evidence to the contrary, which is, is it possible that they could have found someone else? Yes, Microsoft has like 100,000 employees. It's not like we're hard to find. It's very easy to find us. Is it possible to find someone more senior than you? Yes, it's very easy to find someone more senior than you. So I went through and realized all the evidence points to they meant to find me. So maybe I am supposed to be here. But I did initially say, no, And I've said no many times, not because I am busy or whatever. It's just that I am terrified. Um, And I've started to stop doing that. Whenever I'm about to say no for for a reason like that, I now check myself and I'm like, stop. Are you saying no because you don't want to do this? You're really too busy to do this or because you're scared? Now, if you're scared, you have to do it, have to do it. Um, set the deadline and learn everything you need to learn to do the thing. But um, I no longer allow myself to tap out. So that's been a big change over the last 10 years and how I wrangle this thing. Fantastic. Yeah, I watched your uh, your TED talk around this um, uh, a few days ago. And um, 
I love, I love, I love the fact you know when you when you when you ran outside when they asked you to do this talk. You've told me that story before, I think, actually, yeah. as well in our podcast. Yeah. And I just found, I found it absolutely just. I could, I, like I could live it with you. Do you know what I mean? Like you described it so well. And um, so, Kim, how about you? Like, how how has this um, impacted your performance at work and other areas uh, in your life? Oh, it's so resonated, Donna, what you were saying, because you know, I've, I've done the same. I've kind of run away. I, I won an award once and was convinced that they'd actually got an ulterior motive. <laughs> they didn't really mean me, <laughs> was, which was ridiculous. I was like, clearly they're trying to make a point. Um, because if, if they really meant me, then then that would be ridiculous. Um, but I guess one of the things that I've kind of learned is very similar is how you reframe that thinking. And I'm a really biased mother. And like many biased mothers, I believe that if my little girl tries hard, as long as she's kind and she tries, there's nothing she can't do. So that's the advice I do now is go, if this was Scarlett, what advice would I give her? And then I make myself take that advice. Mm -hmm. I make myself go and do that. But sometimes it's also sharing it. I I did a a kind of big stand-up speech before lockdown. And in that moment, I remember looking at the audience and wanting to run away because I said, like, what are you doing? You don't can talk about there's too many people looking at you. I didn't expect there to be this many here. And I remember saying to them, I was like, do you know what? Right about now, every fibre of my body is telling me to get off this stage and run as fast as I can. And I can't do it for a couple of reasons. I don't think I could run fast in these shoes. And the second is I'll never come back from it because my name and my picture are plastered all over the brochure. So I can't do it. But what I can do is give myself permission to share with you that that's how I'm feeling. And in doing so, hope the little voice will shut up long enough that I can actually get on with what it is I'm here to talk to you about. And I think sometimes it is. It's just giving yourself that permission, isn't it? Say, do you want to share it? Yes, I feel a bit scared right now. But you know what? I'm scared and I'm still here and I'm still showing up. So I'm going to be I'm going to be okay with myself for that because it's pushing me out of my comfort zone. I think that's so powerful, Kim. Um, First, I love that idea of you talk to yourself the way you talk to someone you love. Um, I don't have a daughter, but I have a very good friend. And what would I tell her? Would I tell her, wow, you're a stupid fool and they definitely called the wrong person? No. Why would I say that to myself then? So now I, I do the same as you. I think, what would I tell my friend? And I repeat that out loud to myself, to the girl who's been here for me for 40 years and say, all right. They don't have the wrong person. You're being a moron. And I have to, you know, life coach myself out of it. So I'm so glad you're doing it for Scarlett, but also for yourself. Fantastic. It's been very interesting. Kim and I have been working on this, this topic for the last kind of year. And, you know, I've kind of, from what you, you said, Donna, about, um, the way that you talk to yourself and, and the evidence as well of, of, you know, is there evidence actually that proves the opposite of what you're thinking is a, is a big thing that uh, that Kim Kim's been sort of talking to me about and so I want it so what apart from those things are you are you currently doing to try to to combat these feelings uh, of imposter syndrome so I have a whole like 10-step process that I go through um, and mostly, a lot of it is getting over prepared or getting over accreditized So what I mean by that is I feel better when I have some sort of certificate from somebody telling me that I'm qualified to do the thing. And it sounds so dumb and so really just like non-practical, but it really does work for me. I'm not saying this is what everyone else should do and all people mostly don't have time to do this. Like, for example, I've always wanted to be a fashion designer and I knew, I just knew because this is me and I know me so well that if I just one day started learning fashion design from YouTube and design my line, I would always be waiting for the other shoe to fall. Someone's going to be like, you're not a fashion designer. You don't know anything about this. You're some hack who learned from YouTube. I knew this about me. Um, so I, I went to fashion school. I did it on the side. Um, I didn't quit my job, right? But I did Tuesday, Thursday night, Saturday, all days for two years. And it was a huge time suck, but I'm so glad I did it. Because I'm now never waiting for that other shoe to fall. Someone would be like, did you go to fashion school? I'm like, yeah, I did. You know, New York Fashion Academy right here. And here's everything I learned, blah, 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 the language. And then it's just speaking the language, getting comfortable with speaking the language for a long period of time. 
surrounded by other people who can teach me. So for me, it was freeing to be in a situation where it's my job to learn. No one goes to fashion school knowing fashion design. Um, so for me, it was very freeing to be in that place. After I finished, I was able to now start my line. I'm never impostering about being a designer. That's never the issue. It's always a fashion business owner, very different than being a fashion designer. Like the same difference as being a software engineer compared to being a software business owner. If someone's like, hey, I'm to start an enterprise software business, I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. I, I just, I'm not qualified to do that. But am I qualified to be a software engineer? Heck yeah. So for me, it's kind of getting accredited is one thing. That's one. Um, the second thing for more short-term things, like hey, I have to go give the stock and I'm terrified, is having a textable tribe. Um, textable tribe has saved me. This is six people. All are different. Uh, some are men, some are women, some are late in career, some are early in career. Some are supportive, some are not supportive. They're, and the not supportive crew is to kick my sorry butt. So I believe we need all these voices. We need ones who are like, we got you, Donna, you got this. Another one saying, do you want me to come to your house and drag you there? Because I will do that. Right. <laughs> we need the henchman. Right. Who's like, Oh, you're impostering? Yeah, that's nice. You're gonna do it anyway, or I'm not, I'll be at your house in 25 minutes, don't even, right? You kind of need that person also in your life. So I have this textable tribe of these six people. And whenever I'm impostering, I text them like, folks, I'm terrified of this thing. And I get support and love and yelling. And I believe we need all of those things. Super, super. So um, so how about you, Kim? I, I know, you know, I know the process that we've been sort of following. Uh, and part of it's helped me a lot. Not that I had imposter syndrome in quotes, but I kind of had, I, I had uh, confidence kind of, not confidence issues, but I would say, you know, you could maybe crossed over into imposter syndrome. Potentially when I interview really famous people, like like this one newsreader, I interviewed him last um, last year as part of a series of, of interviews. And, like that just freaked me out, like interviewing Alistair Stewart. Like he's a guy that covered the Berlin Wall when I was a kid. He was like on every, I mean, you know, like everyone in England and the UK, they would know who Alistair Stewart was because if there was anything big, he covered it. And at that point, I think I suppose I, I may have suffered from this as a syndrome, right? But like, Kim, you you have this process. What's the What's the best bit of the process, do you think? Um, so it sounds very similar, Donna, to yours. It's kind of like taking yourself through that framing piece. But for me, I guess one of the one of the big lessons that I learned is that you can borrow somebody's belief, because actually every time somebody is giving you an opportunity, they're lending you their belief in you because they wouldn't give you that opportunity if they thought you were going to let them down. And you're right. We do sometimes need that person that's going to kick us in the pants. Don't they go, come on, get over yourself. You're just going to have to do it. But you also need to know that there's people there that are going to catch you. So I, I love the whole textable tribe. Um, but what I do now is I suddenly realise that I was inadvertently making my opinion more important which makes no sense as an imposter. So I don't think my opinion is more important than anybody else's. And I had these amazing people that surrounded me in my career that had got, you know, I aspired to be like, that I still aspire to be like. And they would give me awards or they'd give me opportunities or they'd ask me to come and work for them. And I'd be there going, oh, if only they knew I was hopeless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't do this. Um, and then I was like, hold on. So you're saying that your opinion is more important than these people that you aspire to be. So they think you're brilliant and you think you're hopeless and you believe your opinion's right. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me because I don't think my opinion's better than theirs. So I kind of learned how to borrow their opinion. <laughs> it's like, do you know what? If they think I can do it, I'm just going to cling on to their belief and do my level best to not let them down. And it's enabled me to go and do things I never thought I would be able to do. But it also taught me a, a massive lesson as a leader, which is I can also lend people my belief. Mm -hmm. So I can overtly go out there to my people and say, do you know what? You've got this. And even if you don't believe, borrow my belief, because I know you've got this. And just trust me um, that we can get there. And it's probably been one of the greatest gifts that I've found in leadership, which is, it's in all of our gift to share our belief with people. And what a lovely thing to be able to do if we think about the people that have shared their belief in us and how it's unlocked our potential. 
and know that we actually get the chance to pay that forward. That's a pretty great feeling, I think. It's so powerful what you said there, which is, you know, the borrowing of the belief. Because um, inherently, people don't want to look dumb, right? It's like our biggest fear. It's not death. It's looking stupid in front of others. Um, it really is. It's like the it biggest fear. That's why people are afraid of public speaking. They're not going to drop dead on stage. They're, they don't want to look dumb in front of their peers. It's like debilitating from childhood, but we still have it as adults. And the thing I remind myself, just like you said, Kim, is... A person who volunteered me for this doesn't want to look stupid. It's not like they're excited. They're like, oh, I'm going to make Donna do this. She's going to look dumb and I'm going to look dumb and we're all going to look dumb. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> not, not a good strategy for senior ups generally. Um, and it's not like they, mine is always, well, I'm sure they know someone else. It's like you probably would have asked them. And then it's like, or they did, and they said no, and that's okay. Because how many opportunities do I pass along to others? Because I can't do it for whatever reason. And it's not a bad thing. It's just lack of you know, time. It's not a personality judgment. Um, so I think that's such a powerful statement. And I love what you said about borrow my belief. Um, because you're right. Telling someone else, I believe in you. It doesn't matter if you don't because you're not seeing yourself the way I do, but I believe in you. It's probably the most powerful thing you could ever tell them. So I love that you do that. It's so good, so good, just so, so good. Oh, bless you, thank you. And I must admit, I have my daughter to, I have my daughter to thank for most things in my life, but I have her to thank for this, because actually I looked at it and went, you know, if I turn around to you guys tomorrow and said, when you wake up, you're gonna have to learn how to walk or talk or run or jump or skip, you'd be overwhelmed. We would all be overwhelmed. And yet at our most vulnerable, we learned to do it. So I was kind of studying that, going, why is that? <laughs> why is it when we're at our most vulnerable, can we do these things that today would terrify the living daylights out of us? And then I looked and was like, well, there's three things, I think. The first is they just want to be the same as us, right? So we can run, walk, jump and skip, and they just want to be like us. You know, they just want to be the same. And the second is they don't really know how to say no and mean it. You know, they can't really, I mean, they can have a toddler tantrum, but they can't really cling to it. And the third was, if you ever see anybody, any child that's learning to walk, everybody around them is going, come on, sweetheart, you're so close, you've got this. So we are giving them our belief and they cling to that. And it's like, it's what we do for our children. And then we lose the ability to do it for ourselves or for mm -hmm. our friends or our colleagues when we get to be adults. And yet imagine the impact we could have if we just went back and did that for the people around us. So I kind of started trying it and it was, it's been amazing. It's been such a great, great journey. And you get a real buzz out of helping people to, you know, to do that and to be able to go and thank the people that have done it for me and say, do you know what? You might not have known how much I needed your belief, um, but I really needed it and I appreciate that. And this is the impact it's had because I think that will hopefully encourage people to keep doing it, to keep sharing that belief. Massively. But I think also when you spot these people who they might say something bad to themselves. So you might be in a meeting. Right. And you'll have a conversation with someone and, and then and then they'll call themselves an idiot or, or, or self-deprecate. Right. In, in front of you. And you and you and you can spot that behavior like the back of their brain is ticking away and it's and it's and it's delivering this message to the front of their brain and they can't stop it. And that self-sabotage is is something that. I've been studying like the past few years and it's fascinating to when you get when you get to the bottom of it and you because what I do now is I write down these statements. So I will I will if I'm thinking something negative, I'll write it down and then I will go through the belief thing um, and the evidence thing. And I'll be like, well, hold on. Is, is this a belief or is this is there evidence to support like the opposite? Right. And and it's and it's amazing how how it can affect your success and your and your happiness in life with this constant constant rubbish that's just churning around in your brain right it's terrible but uh, that leads into a great question that i've that i've got um for, for you both so uh, i know donnie you've already mentioned that it's kind of it's led for you to miss out on opportunities um but have you have you turned down opportunities because of your imposter syndrome that you later like massively regretted or or the opposite? Um, I didn't start my business for seven years because I was scared. 
Like I graduated fashion school in 2012. Um, so I knew how wow. to do the craft. And I didn't start my business till 2019, till I was like legitly had to because I made a promise to a friend. And promise to a friend is putting it lightly. She said, well, we're having a launch party on August 15th, 2019. And we're going to have it in the space. So you better have some dresses that people can try on. <laughs> the pressure. I love friends like that. Yeah. I'm like, what? Are you calling the right person? She's like, mm, yeah. So she she's a merchandiser for a local clothing rental company called Armoire, Sabika. And I had been hemming and hawing. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to start this fashion line. And I made this. And, you know, for, for years, I made all my clothes for so long that I don't remember the last time I bought something, right? Um, and everyone is like, oh, my God, that's beautiful. Where did you get that? It's always the same comments. That thing is so bright. It looks so good. It looks so cool on stage. Where do I get one? I'm like, oh, you know, I'll start my fashion line. I'm, I just don't have, mine was always, I don't have the time. And really, it was, I have not given myself the grace, period, to learn what I need to learn to start a business. And because there's this voice in my head being like, Donna, you don't know anything about business. There's nobody in your family who owns a business. You are a software engineer, a good software engineer. Why don't you just stick to being a software engineer? Do you really need to start your own business on the side? Because you will not do well at that. So in my head, I'm convinced that I'm not going to be good at starting a business, right? So I put it off for seven years, like seven solid years. Um, and I, I turned down, you will just shake your head at the opportunities I turned down. I have been featured in so many magazines during that seven years where I'm like, I will start my fashion line. And I didn't. Like, I had a piece in Vogue and they're like, Donna Sarkar, she will start her fashion line in the year something. And I'm like, if I just started it, my fashion line would be in Vogue, not me talking about software engineering. Um, but it was in Vogue, Cosmo, Glamour, Wall Street Journal, all these places. I look and every single one of them is like, Don Sarkar, software engineer, aspiring fashion designer. And I'm like, I wish, I wish I hadn't waited so long. So it's almost a decade of missed experience because of imposter syndrome, which I'm now like, there was a learning in there. It's a big learning, which is the longer you wait, the more regret you're gonna be filled with. Yeah. But then don't you think that might have built uh, built more enthusiasm and, uh, and excitement and determination for success the well, longer I, you delayed it, the, you know? In the well, I think that's true for like six months, not for seven years. Seven years, Fair. it's like, this girl's never going to do this, right? That's why everybody decided. It's like, this is all talk. This, she learned how to do it, but she's not actually going to do it. So honestly, people are shocked when I actually launched the thing. Um, they were like, wait, you did? Your website's actually live I'm like mm, and we can buy things mm, but it was i waited so long right it's one of my deepest deepest regrets i have like no regrets except for this one which is i waited too long i easily could have done it six years ago but not easily but i could have done it six years ago but i didn't and melissa's back yes hello melissa nice to see you back sorry about your mm -hmm. internet yeah, yeah, talking about fine. feeling like an imposter as I was trying every single phone to make it work. But hey, technology is not something you can always control as Donna and all of you know. Don't worry, don't worry. So I, I think, yeah, I think we can, we, can, we can squeeze three questions into one for you, Melissa. So uh, what triggers feelings of imposter syndrome for you? And what impact um, does this have on you and your performance? For me, it's not, it, it's not feeling like I'm in the circle, you know? Um, it's feeling like I don't belong or like everybody around me, you know, knows something I don't or um, that I'm not, I'm not good enough to be there or I'm not perfect enough to be there or, you know, there's just something wrong with me, for example. And I know like most people see me as this like big overachiever and I am. And I think that it's tightly connected to my perfectionism because a lot of times I just want things, like I have this idea in my head of what I want things to be. And I want things to look like and how I want them to end and how I want somebody to treat me or how I want to be invited here, you know, or I want to be included there. And it 
doesn't always happen, you know, and perfectionism is dangerous. It always sets you up for, for failure. You know, you're, you're always going to fail because you have this artificial idea in your head around what you're going to achieve, who you're going to be, what you're going to land, you know? So I know I didn't catch everything that, that Donna said, but I've heard Donna speak many times on this topic and she actually has helped me to, in many ways, overcome my imposter syndrome. But I think I'm at a heightened point of imposter syndrome, you know, right, right now, which we don't need to get into my Twitter account, but you know, it's, it's feeling like I'm not part of the circle, you know, like I don't belong. Like I'm not with everybody else or I'm weird or I'm different. And I think part of that has to do with my ADHD. I don't often talk about it, you know, and I'm just starting to come out of the closet, so to speak, um, about it because I've always felt different. I've always felt like I couldn't focus or couldn't concentrate and, and people would talk. And sometimes I, I would interrupt or I'd jump in and, often it was just to manage myself so that I'd pay attention and I listen because I think listening is so important. You know, I was with Donna one day at this conference and I always tell this story um, because it, it really impacted me. We went to this conference, it was a UN thing, it was like a bunch of ministers and a thing. And the UN, you know, and, and I'm, I'm speaking at the UN, why should I feel like an imposter? I was already speaking there, I was already invited, you know? and. I was asked to be on this panel and I didn't have any preparation for it. It was about the, um, you know, future technology, you know, innovation in the next five years. And of course I can talk about that. But I said, Don, I said to Donna, Hey, like share some ideas with me. Here's what I think. Did I miss anything? And Donna was like, Oh yeah, think about this, this. And I was like, Oh, that's good. Yeah. So I have my talking points down and I get on the panel. I'm on the stage and I'm in this line and I, I hadn't really looked at who was on the panel yet with me. And, you know, there are all these ministers out in the, you know, ministers, not like religious ministers, but ministers of IT. So like a lot of smart people who've been, you know, put in their positions by their prime minister, or their president, you know? Um, and I look on this panel and I've got a world famous economist I have the president of the OECD. I have a minister of IT from one of the African countries that I can't place right now because I don't know African countries. I can't remember the country. And a CIO of one of the largest telecommunication companies on the planet. And I'm like, what am I doing up here? I'm not gonna have stats. I didn't prepare for stats. I don't have any stats, ah! You know, and you know, also like, I'm not gonna talk about this deeply technical stuff because I'm not an engineer. I couldn't card, I couldn't code my way out of a cardboard box. I texted Donna and I'm like, all right, gather my imposter syndrome squad. Donna, I'm sitting here. I feel like an imposter. Get me out of this. Like, give me some, pump me up. And she's like, tell a story you're gonna get. I'm going to talk about real people and real problems and real solutions. So the, the world famous economists and the OECD guy, you know, gal stood up and they did their talk and everybody had a lot of stats. And I told a story. I told a story about a little girl in North Africa who lacks connectivity and that when we could talk about you know, we can talk about innovation and 5G and Starlink and all of these wonderful things, but we're continuing to foster the haves versus the have nots. What about Zahara who needs to learn digital skills, gain access to the internet and include the next billion? And after that talk, several ministers came up to me and they said, that was one of the best talks, if not the best talk that we saw all day. You brought us like a story and we felt it. When can you come to Mozambique? When can you come to, you know, this country and that country? And how can we help do what you're doing in our countries? And I sat back and I thought, you know, we often get in a situation when we think the rest of the room is smarter than us. And instead of comparing, as Donna says, our chapter five with their chapter 25, what is, what is it that, what is your secret sauce? What is your superpower? Instead of trying to compare your superpower to somebody else's superpower, 
bring your own noise. And as long as you're authentic, you try, you stay true to yourself, then you're really not an imposter. And that's the narrative that I always have in my head. Right. So that's what you're currently doing then to, to, to try and combat these feelings of imposter syndrome, or are you, is there something else, some other magic source that you, that you have? I, I think the biggest thing is to gather people around me who are positive influences, be transparent, stay true to myself, speak about the work that I'm doing, speak about it loud and proud, not be afraid to share my vulnerabilities. A lot of the stuff I learned from Donna, by the way, um, you know, but in my own, my own words, if you will. Um, and, you know, not being afraid to say, you know what, I, I don't feel like I belong right now, or I'm feeling this way right now. You know, naturally, I'm not saying that to the negative Nancy's out there, because they're going to make me feel worse. You know, so I think having a, a really great supportive network around you has really helped me to recognize that I do, in fact, have superpowers. We all do. Whether you're, you know, the CEO of, of, of the you know, uh, of the bathroom, or you're the CEO of one of the largest, you know, tech companies or any company on the planet, we've all got these superpowers. And I try to get in touch with what are those things that I'm good at, and not try to think so much about the stuff that I'm not good at. And to just keep trying and not be such a perfectionist. And sometimes good is good enough. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. That's that's great. So, yeah, um, this is the next. This, Donna's already answered this, but um, Kim, has imposter syndrome caused you to miss out on opportunities or have you turned them down or do you think it's the opposite of that? Um, I was always so fearful of letting anybody down that I had an inability to say no, even though I desperately didn't want to do it. Um, so it's so why I kind of turn up going what are you doing here why are you even why are you even stood here i remember being flown in once to to madrid and um the previous speaker had been the um european ceo of i think microsoft actually and then they've got little old me and i was thinking oh god bless them they're not gonna know what's hit them this amazing person talking there and now they've got me like rocked up to come and chat to them um but because i didn't want to let down the person who'd asked me i was like yeah 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 i'll, I'll, I'll go and I remember, um, I remember sitting up, this is not covering myself in any glory. Um, we know I love a quote, so I kind of was finding a couple of quotes and went out and, and was just like, I can't do a keynote speech. What I'm going to do instead, not because I believe in myself, but just because I was terrified, was I've spent 20 years in leadership. There's probably most situations that I've come across. So actually, you're 250 of the biggest leaders in this organisation. Rather than me talk at you, why don't you share with me any challenges you're facing right now? And I'll do my level best to share with you how I'd overcome them, which was a risky strategy because it was like, well, I don't know what they're going to ask me. Anyway, we got to the got to the end of it. And I one of them got in touch with me afterwards and he said, um, he said, you mentioned two quotes. He said, you said that um, uh, he, he said. Uh, if you if it's important to you, you'll find a way. And if it's not important to you, you'll find an excuse. He says, I've just gone for the run that I have been putting off for the last three months. He said, but you also said the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. He said, so I'm halfway through a family bag of Toblerone. <laughs> Guess what I'm trying to say? <laughs> I took something from your speech. Um, and I remember sitting there thinking, this is where my inner imposter kicked in. I was like, if only he knew I found the first quote in the magazine on the flight over there. <laughs> I was like, well, I quite like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like navigate that into my speech. But but I guess it was kind of almost that piece that was, it was that, it was fear that drove me. Um, and interestingly, the labels that we put on ourselves versus the labels that the people use. So I had people say to me like, it's all right for you because you're brave and fearless. And I was like, I didn't get it. I live my life in fear every day of doing something stupid, of letting myself down, of letting, the people around me down of embarrassing the people that know me that go really most importantly embarrassing my team every time I get up I'm conscious that that my people that I'm a reflection of that and I don't want them to have all their friends go oh bless you do you have to work with that when you do get that it's just kind of like you know what I, I failed and that's okay and I'm getting better and I, I don't mean to interrupt you at all but I 
I, you know, it really spoke to me because I thought about some of those times where I'd mess a little thing up and I, I like over my head, I'm replaying it, replaying it, replaying it. You know, like the time I called my big boss the wrong name and she was sitting right there and I did it in front of an audience of 12,000 people. <laughs> and she was sitting right there in the room and I called her Marilyn instead of Meredith and she's my VP. Everybody died sure laughing did. afterward. Everybody still jokes about it. And I, I, it's, it's been two years. I'm still playing that thing back in my head. So it's so important for us to like recognize like, hey, it's okay to fail. And when we do like laugh it off, brush it off, accept it. Because chances are you're, you're the only one remembering, you know, everybody else is like moved on, forgot about it. And when you handle it in grace, like, People remember that failure, yeah. life, you know. Oh, I, I love that so much. The first one of the first public speeches I ever I ever had to did, I told four hundred and eighty people that Imperial Leather was a charity, and I meant Imperial Cancer. And I immediately I was mortified and went. And of course, Imperial Leather is a soap. So unless it was the charity for the unwashed, what I meant was Imperial Cancer. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's I funny. love that. Well, you know what. I, I'll tell you, I accidentally in front of a group of people said suppository instead of repository and my face got red. I, I, I just sat there for a minute. I'm like, well, hmm. It, it does kind of feel like that sometimes, but we're going to yeah. talk about the data repository now. And it was awful. And I was so young in my career and, you know, but I think sometimes when you add humor to those little things, it just it just flows right on through. Thought it was on purpose, honestly. Like when when I hear people mess these up, I'm like, I think they just did it to be funny because that totally brings down the any tension or whatever in the mm -hmm. room, and it makes the person so much more relatable. And now everyone's cheering for them because who hasn't said something truly dumb in front of lots of people? Oh, that's so true. That's so right? true. I actually think it makes people like you a lot. Right I read something about how um, Mary Rodriguez does that. She'll come up, she'll stand up. She's a wonderful storyteller from Microsoft, wrote a book, uh, Brand Storytelling. And I read yeah. something about how she'll stand up in front of a stage, on the stage. She does many keynotes. She's a wonderful speaker. And she'll often tell a story about some dumb thing or silly thing or embarrassing thing or awful thing that you know happened to her when she was a kid and it just it just makes you relatable like people kind of think about like oh yeah i remember i remember that i remember this embarrassing moment from my you know from my childhood and it i think it humanizes you as mm -hmm. as well but we're not always like fast on our feet and sometimes when you're in the thick of it you know you think later oh man i could have said this instead and that would have been like the best joke ever you know yeah. and it's it takes practice you know so, so you think that we're too hard on ourselves, and it hasn't actually cost us any. Anything. We are our own saying? worst nightmare. Yeah, we are <laughs> our own worst bully. Like, if I think about like yeah. how much my friends bully me, my friends don't bully me. I bully myself. I've got this thing back here. Like, like even today when my internet was not working, like, oh god, gosh, you let you let Kim down. You let Donna down. Kim and Donna mm. and, and 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 Nate are fine. Like they are rolling yeah. on. They're rolling with the punches. And I'm like, oh, I'm letting them down. And I'm not a good leader. And oh, I know I should have been home instead of the Dominican Republic. And oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, I know you're still there. I knew you're still there. Yeah. These these, these jet setting women. I don't know. <laughs> but um, so what, Donna, what, what do you think um, we could do to support people who are who are suffering from this and, and create safe spaces uh, for well-being for people to thrive? So I think it's in two parts and it ties up kind of what Kim was saying earlier, which is identify when they're doing it. Um, and now we know how to look for it. We're like, you are extremely qualified and you're acting like you're not because you are scared. And that's okay because we've all been there. So it's to, it's to address that. It's to say, you seem to be freaking out about this and you shouldn't. And here's the reasons why, A, B, and C. Show them the evidence that counteracts the evidence in their head because they've made up a story for why they're not qualified. So give them the, it's like the court of law. You are now the opposition. You're like, okay. 
here is exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C of why I believe you are 100% qualified to do this. And they're like, but what about exhibit C, D, and E? We're like, C, D, and E are made up and imaginary. And honestly, no one cares about C, D, and E. And if I cared about C, D, and E, then we'd be talking about C, D, and E. And then I actually go back to Kim's quote, which is, do you think I'm a fool? People are like, no, no, I don't think you're a fool at all. I think you're really smart. I'm like, okay, then do you think I want to look like a fool? They're like, no, I don't think I want to. Then why would I ask you? And then they were like, oh. Um, so I am a volunteer. I volunteer all kinds of people to do all kinds of things that they're not ready for. And that has involved dragging people on stage a lot. Someone's like, oh, I want to get better at public speaking. I'm like, cool, get up here. They're like, no, no, I didn't mean now. I'm like, no, I mean now. And then <laughs> I stand with them. I'm like, all right, this is my friend X. She is or he is slightly terrified of being here. That's cool. We're going to get him over it. And we just involve everybody. And by the end, they're having fun. They're like, okay, that was actually kind of okay, even though, you know, I hate you, but it's okay. Um, so it's just dealing with the fact that they really hate you right then. But then after they're like, okay, that got me out of my comfort zone a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I, a few weeks ago, interviewed Diane von Furstenberg. I know, talk about imposter syndrome. I almost died, right? Um, so I'm interviewing hey. this woman and I ask her. Fashion icon. I saw that on like your Facebook. Fashion thing, icon. I, 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 I get icon. emails from her. I, yes. Yeah, from, okay. for like not her personally. Right? Let's be clear. Yeah. She is not emailing me personally. It's me um, and like a gazillion other people. Five decades, right? Five decades of entrepreneur experience. And I asked her, what is the best piece of advice you have for leaders today? And she told me something she does every single time, which is, Take the thing that you're fearful of about yourself, the thing you think they're gonna find out. Like Kim's like, I'm a hairdresser, I'm not qualified to be her. Donna's like, uh, I know nothing about business and I'm really shitty at finance. Mel's is, I'm not a computer scientist. Put it out there, just put it out there because then it removes the fear. It's like, they're not gonna go find it. It's not like they're gonna hire a detective to go discover this news you told them and say, Yes, I'm a hairdresser. And for the last 20 years, I've worked at coaching leaders. And here is, you know, what I've got to offer you today. So Diane does the exact same thing. She's like, you're going to think that I'm too young, too old, too European, too American to give this speech. And in fact, I'm here to tell you, here is the point of view that may change your mind. So she is like the opposition lawyer so fast. And I'm like, that is brilliant, first of all. And second, I can't believe you need to do that, Diane. And she's like, yep, I do. And she does it still to this day. So that made me feel better. I'm like, you're legitly an icon who's been iconing for five decades. And the fact that you've been iconing for five decades and are still feeling like, oh, I'm talking to someone at Microsoft. I'm a little nervous about that. I'm like, who? She's like, I'm, no, I'm talking to you. I'm like, you're nervous about talking to me. And she's like, well, you're this tech leader who knows so much about AI and tech. I'm like, that's not very good. <laughs> and she's like, um, yeah, it, it was very surprising conversation, but I realized that some of the most successful people in the world have it. And they, in the best way is honestly to kick yourself out of the comfort zone by taking your biggest fear and just putting it out there. It goes back to the previous point, right? That Mel was talking about around, you're more relatable if you just put it out there. And I found it kind of soothing. I found it kind of soothing, even though I do feel like an imposter working and not being an engineer. Like, I, you know, I run coding camp. Yeah, she does. You know, and again, I plug my cardboard box, you know. And, but, you know, once I started saying it, I, I realized, again, you know, I've got certain super powers that some of my team members don't have and vice versa. And I think what also helps, and Donna, I think, said it, you know, super, super clearly is that, you know, even our role models, even those people who were on chapter 25, you know, it, it's just this normal human thing. Everybody feels it, but a big proportion of people do. But I think it's about fighting that inner bully and reinforcing, you know, that concept of, you know, I always think about my friend Holly. And I think when when Holly and Holly also works at Microsoft, but if Holly were to come to me and she were to say, hey, I'm not feeling great this day, you know, today, I need to 
you know, interview this person, or I need to go out and run this event, or I need to write this technical blog, or I need to do blah, 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 where it is. You know, I think about, you know, what, what is it that, what is it I tell her and why do sometimes I do the opposite of what I try to tell her to do and how do I take myself out of the, the equation as Donna said and think about, okay, put my shoes, I'm Holly and I always Carrie or Holly, which I don't know if Holly and Carrie know I pretend to be them sometimes, but I pretend to be Holly and Carrie and then I pretend like, you know, the, the rules are reversed and I think about that conversation that we would have and sometimes that doesn't work and when it doesn't work I actually reach out to the real Holly or the real Carrie or the real Donna and I'm like here's how I'm feeling and it's like this trusted circle of people that I know I can you know I can be ultra vulnerable with wow Fantastic, fantastic. Well, thanks, Mel. That's uh, that's great. So, what do you think, Kim? About um, you know, just to finish up, how do you think we could support people who are who are suffering from this and create safe spaces for them? So, so I agree with everything like Melissa and Donna have said. I think you know, finding an ability to share our vulnerability without losing our credibility is so key. And actually, when we do that, when we share a little bit of our vulnerability. We'll make it a safe space for other people to share some of theirs. Because the thing is, we're all vulnerable about something. We all have something that we hope nobody finds out. But once, to your point, Donna, once you put that out there and go, do you know what? I am an ex-hairdresser. You know, there is nothing on paper says that I should have made it to the board, but I did. And they left me there for 10 years. So do you know what? Maybe I earned my space. Um, but I'm sharing that because actually that's the thing that I'm concerned about. And actually, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to let you know what are you concerned about because when we frame things one of the one of the challenges is a, there's a great book that i recommend to everybody which is called crucial conversations and it talks about the fact that there are moments in our life when a conversation becomes crucial and what we mean by that is there's some emotion in there there's some concern that actually we're going to be sold to or made to look stupid or embarrass ourselves or, or do anything so the emotions in there and either one or both of you is probably feeling that and what happens is we respond with either violence or silence. So either we get very aggressive, very assertive, very loud, very angry, or we just withdraw, retreat, move away and hope, the, hope that it disappears. But actually, yeah. if, we, if we frame it, there's no conversation we can't have. So since I've read the book, I use this quite a lot, which is, you know, I'll share with people, do you know what, actually right now, I'd rather stick my head in the oven than have this conversation, but I'm 100% committed to finding a solution that works for both of us. And because of that, I'm gonna push through my uncomfortableness and have the conversation. Because what you're doing is saying, I'm not here to attack you. Do you know what, I'm just as uncomfortable. I'd really rather run away, but we need a solution. We need to find a way through. And I'm committed to finding one that works for us. So even if what I suggest now isn't gonna be any good, you've got my commitment that we're gonna find a way that works for us both. And I think. Once we start to create that framed space for people, it's safe. They can share because actually I'm not going to be under attack. You're not trying to trip me up and make me look stupid. You're actually on my side. So I, I feel safer. And I think the more we can do that for people, then hopefully the more that we can help people to feel that support and feel like actually, do you know what, you're not in it on your own. We all have those moments where um, – we we don't know what we're doing or we worry that we don't know what we're doing or we're about to just open our mouths and, you know, put the other foot in that case. There's, there's not any food for the You already have one foot in your mouth. I'm so glad that you mentioned um, <laughs> crucial conversations. Um, I actually had an important moment where um, I was speaking with some people in a room and are on a virtual room and, and one of the individuals said to me, you know, Melissa, I've been working in this space for a very long time. And I think I'm going to call your boss's 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 boss and have that conversation because I've been doing this a really long time and we know what we're doing. And, and the way that it was said was like, we know, what you're do we know what we're doing, you don't. 
And so I had to, I had to employ that moment to kind of like, you know, wow. it's all going, going off over there. It sounds like she's got airplanes and hoovers. And yeah, I have no idea. I can't hear, hear me okay now, though. Is it all right? I can't, hear a word. I can't hear a word she's saying. It's unbelievable. Really? Not at all. But look, we're wel- you're welcome to stay on for a little bit. If you guys want to stay on and have a chat for a bit, then we're, that's cool. Um, because there's a comment here. You, have you got five, ten minutes, you guys? Or I have to run for my eight, but it's been amazing talking to you all. And thank you so much. Thanks. We're all highly findable out there. So thank you so much for chatting with me. And I'm so excited to have met you, Kim. And good to see you. It's been a good delight. Good to see you chatting again. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank Bye. you so much. Isn't she cool? Mel introduced cool. me to her, you know. But Mel, she's frozen again. So, yeah, I wanted to just, I wanted to just literally just talk about, oh, the text tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Gabrielle loved the text tribe and so did Mark Giles. They loved the text tribe idea. So you basically build a list of people who you can send a message to. And Melissa's... Melissa's uh, gone, I think. Yeah, she's uh, she's she's gone. Um, so, oh, she's back. Look, here we go. She's back. Woo-hoo-hoo! Muted. How is the connection now? Is it better? It's better now. Well, it was. Oh well, she's 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 frozen. Don't worry, Mel. We're all we're all good. We're all good. We can't have her frozen in the stream, there, Kim. So look, it's um, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, hosting this, and you know, so grateful that everyone kind of tuned in. And I think we covered we covered some great some great questions there. I think that was fantastic. And thank you so much, uh, Kim. Uh, it's been it's been super, uh, Melissa. Thank you so much for, uh, for for dropping by. We really appreciate it. And um, yeah, uh, if anyone's got any questions, please feel free to uh, drop drop them in the comments. Thank you again. Bye bye. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>